Good morning, everyone. Uh, first of all, I want to thank uh, Pastor Dan and the leadership for the invitation. May the Lord be with you. And I'm, I'm deeply honored to be with you sharing the Word of God and to be in communion. I would rather be with you to be far away from you, but praised be God that has given us this chance to be uh, in communion by sharing and meditating in His Word. Um, the theme of my message today is the truth that changes everything. And the text that we will work through is John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. So please turn in your holy scriptures in that verses. First of all, we pray now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, probably you met me last November in Oxford when I visited you, but pro some of you uh, didn't meet me at that time. So I'm going to introduce myself. I'm Samuel, married to Natalia, and we got a son, Arlam, uh, two years and a half. And we're waiting for a new baby, baby boy, probably in October or uh, the beginning of November. And we praise God for this new uh, experience to have this new boy. Um, and we are now in Brasilia, exact, exactly recording this message in our church in Brasilia. And we are preparing ourselves to go to England, exactly in Oxford, to be with you and to work with you for the kingdom of God as one people. So I want to give you an introduction of my message by seeing the actual context that we are living during these days, uh, has this already crossed your mind, in this question? What is really happening? I, I'm sure that people are asking themselves, what is happening? What is happening in politics? What is happening in social behavior? What is happening in health? If we take some example, the issue of the virus, we heard something about it, about when it started, about the reason or origin, and about the different methods countries are taking to face this situation. But is it true what people say it is? Or is it how others claim it to be? The lack of answers to these questions leads us to the last but most important questions of all. Who tells the truth? Or even better, where is the truth? One of the Roman characters recorded in the scriptures, Pilate, also inquired about this great question when he asked the Lord, quid est veritas, in English, what is, or what is the truth? The answer to this last question is crucial, since all of our behavior will be the result of the solution to this great question. There is no doubt that finding the truth and having it will guide all our actions and influence our state, both material and unmaterial, I mean body and spirit. In my short years of life, I was able to see some threats to public health and life in different geographical settings. For example, H1N1, SARS, Ebola, and hantavirus, 
which I call the Panamanian virus, transmitted through rats. The climate at that time was one of so much uncertainty, insecurity and capacity, much like the feeling of Moses' spies, Numbers 13, 25 through 33, if you don't remember the, the, the story. With the difference that in this case, the enemies are not giants, but literally microscopic organisms. But with the similarity that in the eyes of some, they loomed in such a way that everything that could, could be used to face this adversary would shrink when compared to the enemy. I remember in my city, the reaction created by the already forgotten hunter virus, the Panamanian virus, and H1N1. Some highly hysterical and desperate, others with no sign of concern and highly confident in their survival instinct. And on the other hand, those in between or more balanced, that at some point would approach to the two extremes that I mentioned without realizing it. Now in Brazil, far from home, the scene is repeated, but with a new enemy, the most notorious of living organisms on the face of the earth, much more remarkable than any athletes, singer, politicians, YouTuber, or current stars, the infamous virus that has been coronated or crowned with the attention of so many people. I want to make it clear. Did you know that the word corona means in Spanish crown? And when I say that this virus has been coronated, it's because, it's because attention has been given to this issue. Crown that obviously and surely this virus doesn't deserve. As, the, as in the previous cases, it seems that there are three groups. Those who are extremely distressed with signs of fear, those who are extremely careless with signs of arrogance, and those who are reasonably balanced with signs of uncertainty. What do they have in common? Everyone is guided by the quota of truth. Which truth? The one they built or was built on them. All are victims of the latest news cycle. I'm not, saying he, I'm not saying it here to become a hostage of fear or carelessness or to find in balance the fullness of peace. Not feeling saving any of these three categories and in defiance of all natural and earthly order, I come to the absolute conclusion that there is certainly a fourth group, a group that inspired me to make these reflections. The truth that changes everything, that this fourth group I wish, that I wish boldly for the world, but liberating I called it the truly free. This is, the, this is the name of this fourth group, the truly free. Are they free from the virus? No. What a frivolous thing. Free from something much greater. Free from ignorance and worldly deception. I want to draw your attention to what Jesus said in one of the most uncertain times when his disciples lived. Let's go, as I told you, to John chapter 14 and leave your Bibles open in this passage. Uh, just in a moment, I will read you with you. I'm going to give you a setting of this context of this passage. 
This is the last week of Jesus' life, physically. This is his last night with his disciples before the cross. And after having the last supper with his closest followers, Jesus is going to predict three terrible things to his disciples. If you see in chapter 13. The first one, Jesus said that someone would betray him. John chapter 13, 21. Not only that, he also said that he would only be with them physically for a brief time and that he would then leave for a place where they couldn't follow him. John 13, 33. And if that were not enough, Jesus publicly said to one of his most closest disciples that he would deny him three times. John 13, 38. Imagine the climate. What was breathed in that environment? Betrayal, denial, and farewell. Nothing encouraging. How would be the hearts of those who had found the Messiah, in whom they, in whom they had certainly placed their hope for national and spiritual life, hearing that the Christ would be betrayed, denied, and that he would have to leave to a place where they could not follow him at that moment? Perhaps the disciples were asking themselves what many may be asking themselves today, even us, what, what is happening? It was at, that, at this very moment that the greater teacher, with immense love, led the disciples to fix their eyes not on the humanly visible, but on things above, not below. Now we read John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. Jesus said, do not, let, do not let your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how, could, how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. As we see the context in chapter 13, and the first verse of Chapter 14, something was happening in the hearts of, the, of these disciples. And something was missing from their lives. Anguish, uncertainty, and hopelessness had become enthralled in the lives of these disciples. Feelings that would only lead them to think that the final reality was what they could see at that moment. And prevent them, preventing them from seeing reality as God sees it. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, that Peter would deny him, and that his disciples would abandon him. If there was anyone who had to be comforted, it was Jesus. But instead of being comforted, it is he who comforted his disciples. John MacArthur said that it was the lowest point of his humiliation before the cross, comforted his disciples comforting his disciple while he was really troubled. You see that in John 13, 21. Now the Lord 
seeking to open their eyes and to comfort them, he consoled his disciples, leading them to reflect on three things, as we see in these verses. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Anguish and fear take hostage the one whose heart is not in Jesus. We read, do not, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The Lord with all authority releases the anxious heart. And in the place of fear, he gives his blessed peace. As we read in John chapter 14, 27. This action is attributed to the person of Jesus. He said, believe in me. Jesus, Jesus is attributing himself this authority. Believe in me. You don't see, you have, you have not seen the Father. The Father is an invisible spirit. And you haven't seen him. But you are seeing me. If you see me, believe in me. In him rests all dominion and strength and authority. He who is the creator and sustainer of the universe is able to sustain any heart that takes refuge in him. Therefore, no event of any kind can take the Lord by surprise. Being Lord of everything, nothing is out of his control. So he can say to you and to me and to everyone, do not let your hearts be troubled. The law has always been, is, and will be at the center of the past, the present, and the future. The, the church must remember the word, the sublime truth that Augustine said, we human beings are restless until we find rest in God. Second, verse 2 through 3. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And, I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also be where I am. Second thing, what the disciples called home wasn't their real home. Much of the disciples' distress was due to not seeing a secure future in their land. The possible savior of the Jewish people against foreign oppression, the leader for, who for three years had given them hope to live, was about to be betrayed, denied, and close to living. How then did they see hope for the future with this scenario? The Lord wants to make it more than clear to his disciples, not to fall into the, mis to the mistake of thinking that Jerusalem, Judea, or any city would be their final destination. The Lord makes it clear, saying where he was going and what he was going to do. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also be where I am. These were saying that he was going to prepare a place for his follower in order for them to be with him. There is a very strong tendency, my brothers and sisters, to exchange the greater reality for the lesser. And we forget that this place where we breathe today is temporary and transitory. And without realizing it, we fight and live to build something that will last forever. But here, the rush of life 
Family responsibilities, work commitments, and personal projects can become stumbling blocks and lead us to sin by loving this fleeting reality more than the eternal reality. I give thanks to the Lord because whenever I open my mouth here in Brazil to speak, those who don't know me say, you are not Brazilian, aren't you? Obviously, in England, people do know do will know, do know that I'm not English. And also when I go to Panama, I myself raise criticism about my culture. I question my Panamanian citizenship. It always reminds me that I don't below, belong here, Brazil, Panama, and anywhere else. I'm a foreigner and a pilgrim. Third, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus answered to Thomas, I call the cosmic response. Jesus is placing universal exclusivity upon himself. He does not pose himself, himself as an option, but as the option. And he will describe himself as being the three things that man needs. Every human being consciously or unconsciously seeks a truth that will give himself a path to walk and life to live. Whatever the truth that man builds or it's built on him will, will affect his existence and change the perspective of his life. What the disciples needed was not a national liberator to guarantee their future on earth, nor a military army to protect their nation or lives. What they needed was truth. What means truth? The reality as God sees it. What they needed was a way to walk. What does it mean? The gospel and its implications. What they needed was life. What does it mean? The spiritual fullness and abundance that only exists in Jesus. What a joy it's to know that in this lost, lying, and dead worldly system, the truth, the way, and the life for man exists in Jesus. And we got it. Thank God for having refuge and peace in Him for this present life, and home and promises for the life to come. I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters there in Oxford, to go and to see Jesus as your refuge, to see Jesus as your life, to see Jesus as your way, not to see to any situation in this world as your life, as your way, but to see in Jesus everything that you need. God still reigns. And he is preparing a place for you. This is not your final destination. Your final destination is to be with you. And he is comforting us with, the, with this, this precious truth. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. Uh, thank you, Lord, for giving us rest with, with you. Because of you, Lord, we have hope for the future, for the life to come.
And because of you, Lord, we have a path to work. We have a way to work. All the reality as you see it, Lord. Thank you for the life you have given us. The life that we are experiencing and enjoying now. And a life that we can share to others. What the world needs, Lord, is your truth, your way, and your life. And we ask for your peace. Fill us with your peace, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters there in Oxford, as my church here in Brazil, and in Panama as well. We wait for you, Lord. And we thank for everything you've done for us, for the most precious gift you, you gave us, the salvation, the relationship with you. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.